What's happening, everybody? Justin, Bridgewater's Finest on YouTube, Blockbuster underscore guy on Twitter, fueled, as always, by some cold brew of nerd teas this time around, because it is very, very, very warm outside, and we are going to bring episode zero to a close with a bang. It is part four of episode zero of my 2018-2019 NFL football pick show. And today we're going through my playoff predictions based on my record predictions for the AFC and NFC. So if you haven't listened to those episodes or watched those episodes, you might want to do that before you listen to this one. I realize that's investing like two hours of time before you listen to this one, but it's a good idea. And then we're going to do some Q&A. You guys have been prodigious with your Q&A questions. We got a lot of ground to cover today. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. My voice sounds a little weird and different, but uh, we're going to get through this bad boy today. It's going to take a while to record, going to take a while to listen to, but with nerd tease and with your energy, we're going to get this done. So let's waste absolutely no time full playoff predictions for 2018 obviously this is going to recap who i think is going to win the divisions in the afc and the nfc and who gets the two wild card spots in the afc i've got new england once again being the number one seed in the afc with a 12 and 4 record champion of the afc east my number two seed and my number three seed i have being determined on tiebreaker and I have it with the conference tiebreaker I've got the Pittsburgh Steelers at 11 and 5 taking the number two seed as champions of the AFC North and that leaves the Jacksonville Jaguars champions of the AFC South as the number three seed also at 11 and 5. My number four seed, I have the LA Chargers at 10 and 6, victors in the AFC West, and the wildcard teams 5 and 6. I have this also being determined by the conference tiebreaker. The Kansas City Chiefs, I have winning the tiebreaker at 10 and 6 over the Houston Texans, who I also have at 10 and 6. So we got Chiefs at number 5 and Houston at number 6. Once again, 1 through 6 goes New England. Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, LA Chargers, Kansas City, and Houston. In the NFC, things are slightly more complicated. The number one seed is not complicated, however. I have the Minnesota Vikings at 12 and 4, victors in the NFC North, and Minnesota with the number one seed coming out of the NFC. My number two seed, I got the Philadelphia Eagles repeating as division champions in the NFC East. That has them at 11 and 5. They are the number two seed. My number three and four seed, the other two division champions, were determined by the conference tiebreaker. I have the LA Rams winning the NFC West, and I have the Carolina Panthers winning the NFC South. But those two are going to be decided again by the conference tiebreaker. I've got the Rams winning that tiebreaker. So Rams to the number three seed, Carolina to the number four seed. My number five seed is the Green Bay Packers. I've got them finishing, as I mentioned before, at 11 and five. So they are my number five seed. Where it gets complicated is the number six, because I had four teams Finishing the regular season at 9-7, and seven, which I think is going to be good enough this season to get the number 6 seed in the NFC. 
Those four teams being Chris Carter's Atlanta Falcons, the New Orleans Saints, Stephen Coleman's Detroit Lions, and the Dallas Cowboys. I've got them all finishing at 9-7. and seven. Dallas and Detroit I have disqualified from the playoffs on the conference tiebreaker. And the New Orleans Saints I have disqualified on the head-to-head tiebreaker. I'm giving the number six seed to the Atlanta Falcons at nine and seven. So one through six in the NFC goes Minnesota, Philadelphia, the Los Angeles Rams, Carolina, Green Bay, and Atlanta. On wildcard weekend, that would leave us with AFC matchups of three versus six, Jacksonville playing host to Houston, and four versus five, the LA Chargers playing host to the Kansas City Chiefs. In that 3v6 matchup of Houston and Jacksonville, I actually kind of feel the upset there. I don't quite have the faith in Jacksonville, I guess, that last season's AFC Championship game appearance would justify. I think Jacksonville's still going to have a great season, but I just love Houston in the upset here. I love the potential of quarterback play that you can see from Deshaun Watson this season. I think the offense is just that much better as long as Lamar Miller doesn't absolutely fall apart. So I'm taking the upset there. I'm going to take the Houston Texans to beat Jacksonville on wildcard weekend. That four versus five matchup, Chargers and Chiefs. I love the Chargers there. I think the Chiefs are... Heading towards not a rebuild per se, but I just, I don't know. There's something about this LA Chargers team. I think they get over the hump in that matchup, win that playoff game. I'm going to take the Chargers, the four seed, over the five seed, Kansas City. In the NFC, we have wildcard weekend matchups of three versus six, which is the Rams playing host to Atlanta, and four versus five, which is Carolina playing host to Green Bay. 3v6, I don't necessarily like Atlanta's chances going into LA to try to beat the Rams. So I'm going to go with the Rams there, I think, on offense and on defense. Well, certainly on defense, I give the Rams the edge. I guess you can't give the Rams the edge on offense. Really, on offense, it's Todd Gurley and everybody else, whereas Atlanta's offense, obviously much more balanced. But I think I'm going to take that defense there at home. I'm going to take the Rams over the Falcons in the 3v6. 4v5, I am going to take the moderate upset, even though I've got the 5 seed with a better record than the 4 seed. I'm going to take Green Bay to go into Carolina and beat the Panthers. I do think Green Bay wins a playoff game this year. Whether they win more than one is going to depend on whether the defense actually decides to play football. But I do think they win one playoff game. I think Aaron Rodgers can win them one playoff game. So let's go Green Bay on the road in Carolina to beat the Panthers in that four versus five matchup on wildcard weekend. We come down to the divisional round, and in the AFC, that creates a one versus six matchup, David versus Goliath of the Patriots playing host to the Houston Texans, and a 2v4 matchup of the Pittsburgh Steelers playing host to the LA Chargers, and I do like both of the favorites there. I'd take New England at home over Houston, would be tempted to take Houston if the game was in Houston. It's not. It's in New England. So I'm going to go New England there. And the Chargers, I don't like their prospects of having to cross the country and play Pittsburgh and try to beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. So I'm going to take the home team there as well. I'm going to take New England and I'm going to take Pittsburgh to win in the divisional round to set up a 1v2 matchup. Pittsburgh 
going to New England to play the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Over on the NFC side of things, it sets up a 1v5 matchup, a matchup of the NFC North, Minnesota playing host to Green Bay, and a 2 versus 3 matchup of the Philadelphia Eagles playing host to the Los Angeles Rams. And in that one, I'm going to take the two home favorites as well. I don't like Green Bay's prospects of going into Minnesota, trying to beat Minnesota in Minnesota in a playoff atmosphere with how good this Vikings team is. So I'm going to take Minnesota in that one because top to bottom, I think they have a better team. Philly and the Rams are going to be an incredibly, incredibly tight game. Two very, very good defenses. I just think Philly's got a better offense. So I'm going to take Philadelphia there. And once again, it was the same deal with the Chargers having to travel to Pittsburgh. It's the Rams having to travel to Philadelphia. So Pennsylvania, once again, to try to beat the Eagles in Philadelphia. I just don't think they do it. So going to take the two home favorites there as well to set up an NFC championship game of the Minnesota Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles. That sounds familiar. AFC championship game, Pittsburgh Steelers, New England Patriots, Foxborough, Massachusetts. You heard it here first, probably not, but you're hearing it here again. I don't think the New England Patriots go back to the Super Bowl. I'm going to take Pittsburgh. I got the upset. Steelers upset the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Pittsburgh going to the Super Bowl. NFC Championship game, Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minnesota gets their revenge. I think the Minnesota Vikings are destined to go to the Super Bowl this year. I got Minnesota beating Philadelphia in Minnesota. I'm going to take the Vikings to go to the Super Bowl. Your Super Bowl 53 projected matchup. Your AFC champion Pittsburgh Steelers taking on your NFC champion Minnesota Vikings. And by a final score of 31 to 24, Gio DeFranco's Minnesota Vikings win the Super Bowl. I've got the Vikings winning Super Bowl 53. I've got Dalvin Cook as your Super Bowl MVP with two touchdowns and 125 yards put up on the Steelers. I love the Vikings this season. I think Minnesota's going all the way. Who do you have as your Super Bowl champion? I would love to hear that in the comments section below. But for me, it's the Vikings all the way. And big ups to the Steelers, too, with that window closing on the Ben Roethlisberger-Antonio Brown regime in Pittsburgh. Getting to the Super Bowl this season, it's just going to make them hungrier to try to get back there next season. Just because, again, you've only got so many years left of that connection. I mean, this may be Roethlisberger's last season. It might be his last best chance to get to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl. Big ups to Pittsburgh. I just think this is Minnesota's year. So there you go. I've got a Steelers-Vikings Super Bowl. I've got Minnesota going over, winning Super Bowl 53. One of the other primary things I wanted to talk about in this episode was I wanted to talk about my fantasy football teams because that's what a platform like this is all about. So if you don't like fantasy football, get up, take a walk, grab your popcorn, have a little snack, come back in a few minutes. I'm playing fantasy football this season on three different levels. 
I've done a few standard redraft leagues out of a sense of duty to what got me started in fantasy. I think everybody starts in fantasy doing redraft. So I did a couple of leagues this year. They're just public leagues. You know, it's not too much. I did obviously a few dynasty leagues, the ones that I was in last season, my own, as well as the NFL YouTube Prognosticators League, which really you only keep two players in that. So it's not really a dynasty league, but we're going to lump it there anyway. And this season I had a new twist. I did a few standard leagues with auction drafting style. I just wanted to try something new. I've heard people talk about auction a lot. It never seemed like it appealed to me, but I was like, you know what? I, I can't really say that because I've never really tried it. So I entered four public leagues this year that all drafted with the auction style. Two of those four auction leagues drafted all the way back in early July. And those are the two that I kind of want to talk about because it's like really jumping in feet first before I really kind of knew a little bit of what I was doing in auction. I'd done a couple of mock drafts just so I at least knew the process of it, but I really had no idea what I was doing in these drafts. So league one, I still think actually both leagues, I still think they went fairly well. League one, I drafted Saquon Barkley as my first pick. He was the 16th player nominated and I paid 58 bucks for him, which I feel like is an underpay, at least in terms of those top tier redraft running backs. Didn't get another player until the 40th player nominated, which was Adam Thielen. I feel like I got him for a great price. I only paid 20 bucks. I followed those picks up with Ronald Jones II from Tampa Bay. Got him for just 10 bucks at the 50th nomination. Then managed to get back-to-back -back picks of Cam Newton for $13 at the 53rd nomination. And Devontae Adams for $30 at the 54th nomination. I believe that's around an underpay for both of those players. Definitely for Devontae Adams. Got Minnesota's defense for 5 bucks. That's a bit of an overpay maybe for a defense, but it was within my budget. Mike Evans for $21. So Adams plus Evans for a total of 51 bucks. I felt like that was pretty good and got decent value throughout the rest of the draft simply by employing the only strategy that makes sense to me in terms of auction. You have to be patient. I would rather somebody else pay $75 in a bidding war on a $200 budget for Le'Veon Bell then pay $75 myself. You gotta have a budget and you gotta be smart and patient when you address an auction draft. That's just kinda what I gleaned right from the beginning of the first mock. My second league, little less patient, but it was highlighted by grabbing Alvin Kamara, the eighth nomination, and I paid $66 for him. So that's right about a going rate, maybe a slight underpay by a couple of bucks. Got Carson Wentz for just $10 at the 30th nomination as a starting quarterback and feel like I absolutely stole Keenan Allen and Stefan Diggs as my top two wide receivers for a combined just $42, the 45th and 58th nominations respectively. That's great value for my starting wide receivers. Managed to snag Marcus Mariota to back up Wentz for just $1 at the 85th nomination. So, I mean, if Wentz isn't ready to go in week one, I've got a serviceable quarterback there. Look, auction drafting is a lot of fun. Uh, and it was more fun than I thought I was going to have with it. While I don't think it'll become my standard, like I can very much see myself continuing with auction drafting in future years. It's, it's a lot of fun. If you've never tried it, you absolutely should. 
As far as the Dynasty Leagues go, which are both paid leagues, they're the really important ones, the one obviously that I put most of my focus in. In the Progs League, I elected with my two keeper players to retain Devontae Adams. That was at the cost of my fourth round pick, which is number 46 overall, which is actually pretty incredible based on his current ADP. He's going around number 17, 18, so firmly within the second round, like mid-second round, in most drafts in 12 team leagues. So the fact that I can get him at number 46, pretty damn good value. And Juju Smith Schuster at wide receiver as well. That was at the cost of my final round pick because Juju was a free agent acquisition of mine throughout the season. So it was my last round pick, number 190 overall, which is unreal value. His current ADP is 42 in like 12 team leagues, 10, 12 team leagues, fourth round, early fifth. So to get him with the 190th overall pick, what great value. For those two players, paying just an average of pick number 118 for average ADPs of pick number 30. So I'll definitely take it in the Progs League. Though I do have to take a second to point out, that's certainly not the best value for a free agent acquisition. Uh, Gio DeFranco of Gio Knows and Flat Earth fame, uh, you know, he had a, he had an okay free agent pick. Just a little guy by the name of Alvin Kamara. So getting a top five running back, like right around where I'm going to be taking Juju. So that is the absolute ultimate in terms of value for a keeper player. Uh, in my own league, the Professionals Dynasty Fantasy Football League, my keepers including Russell Wilson at quarterback, who was shockingly in my league the, the QB1 in fantasy last year. So I kept him, obviously. Uh, Mike Evans and Devontae Adams at wide receiver. And I kept my young, stacked running back core intact. Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, Dalvin Cook, and Leonard Fournette. I went all young with my running backs. It totally paid off. I won the league championship last year, and I managed to keep that core of four intact. Mixing in Jack Doyle at tight end, pretty strong individual defensive players because team defenses are for cowards, and I feel really strongly about repeating as league champion in 2018. So we're going to take an early opportunity in this episode to plug our good friends at Nerd Tees before we get into our pretty extensive question and answer period. So nerdtees.ca, promo code BWFINEST, save yourself 15% at checkout. If you're in Canada, get free shipping on your order over 50 bucks. If you're in the US, hey, pay a great exchange rate on the Canadian dollar. All of Ruby's prices are in Canadian money. So you get that excellent bump on the US dollar. Never a better time to shop at Nerd Tees. Today's blend is the Strawberry Power Up. Again, I'm doing it as a cold brew because it's very, very, very hot outside. Just uh, summer, getting a, little, uh, getting a little rebound outside in the temperatures. So we're doing a little cold brew today. It's delicious. It's energy. It's going to get me through my day. Nerdtease.ca. Find something to love and don't forget that promo code of BWFINEST. Save yourself some money along the way. All right. Q&A time. Again, you folks have been very prodigious with your questions and topics that you wanted to hear me talk about in this portion of the episode. This is going to be the rest of the episode, hitting up some topics that you folks were interested in. So, I threw it out there on Facebook and Twitter, just threw it out on my socials. Hey, if you got any questions, 
throw them in here. I'll address them in part four of episode zero. This is going to be the bulk of the episode today. And yeah, you guys, uh, you guys definitely came through with some interesting and fun stuff to talk about. So we're going to start with some of my CFL boys here on Twitter. Millhouse, Monkey Capper, and Pickle Rick all kind of asked me about betting and capping strategies. Now, to be honest, asking me about how I cap is like asking Donald Trump about foreign policy. I can barely understand the words, much less formulate good strategies. But that being said... I have found that I will follow certain guidelines that I've picked up from cappers who are better than I am. I have to be humble enough to realize I'm still a beginner at sports betting. There's a ton of people out there that are better at it than I am, so I have to learn from those people. For example, I always give extra consideration to home underdogs. That was Geo. That was one of the first things about betting like against the spread and even over under, but certainly against the spread. That was one of the first tips that I picked up from my good friend and noted flat earther, Gio DeFranco. And I'm also very vocal about how like double digit point spreads really make me nervous. So like I'm way more comfortable betting a nine and a half than I am betting a 10. As a beginner gambler that's not working with a ton of capital, I'll usually never make money line plays on heavy favorites. There's just not value there if you're dealing with small levels of capital. Like if you're only working with like one unit, two units, it's almost not worth, It's it, there's just not a lot of value there. And by the way, for these purposes, when I say one unit, I generally mean $100. Fair enough? Fair enough. As somebody, myself, who frequently uses government-hosted lottery services, so we're talking about like ProLine, I very frequently will make use of ProLine. I always parlay multiple ProLine tickets with the fewest allowable number of wagers. So where I am in Nova Scotia, they'll allow me to do a ticket that only has two wagers on it. So I'll do that and I'll do four or five tickets of two bets rather than doing a larger ticket of six, seven, or up to eight wagers, which is the maximum, hoping that every single one of them catch, cashes. Yes, my payouts are smaller, but I only need maybe two of those five tickets to hit in order to make money. It's all about making money. I don't sports bet to lose money. So if I am going to sports bet, I'm going to put myself in the best position possible to actually make money. Uh, Pickle Rick asked specifically about the half point importance. So again, like, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, the difference between like a 9.5 and a 10. To me, it does make a big difference. If for no other reason than it either negates or brings into play the possibility of a push. And in gambling terms, a push is like taking your sister to prom. It's no good for anybody. I'd rather push then lose from the perspective of my own record keeping. Like when I come on here against the spread and tell you, well, against the spread this week, I went 11-4-1. I would rather go 11-4-1 than go 11-5. But if I'm gambling on all of those picks, it doesn't matter. 11-4-1 is 11-5. Like a push is a loss, a loss is a loss is a loss. In short, on the capping side of things, Unfortunately, I think I have very little new to offer anyone strategically at this point in my capping career. But Millhouse, Monkey, and Pickle Rick, thank you very much for asking at least my, my, my very moderate, very early, very beginner perspective on the capping game. 
feel like I've already mentioned him a ton in this episode, but we're going to go to a question from Geo of Geo Knows Fame. Geo asks, can the Browns go 0-16 again? And uh, no, uh, honestly, I, I don't think they can. The Browns have improved their team enough that they're going to win games in 2018. If you listen to my AFC predictions, you already know how many games I think they're going to win this season. But you're talking about, like, you brought in Jarvis Landry. You got Josh Gordon coming back. You brought in Carlos Hyde. You had an what I think is actually a pretty damn good draft bringing in Mayfield and Chubb and Denzel Ward. You added a guy like Michael Kendricks who can still play football. Jeff Janis for some depth. E.J. Gaines, who can play football. Todd Haley as your new offensive coordinator, who is going to be talented in that role with the weapons they have. The Browns are going to win football games this year. We're not going to see another 0-16 performance from them. But Geo, thank you for your question. Speaking of the Browns, I suppose I should just finish off, I should just make this the Browns portion of the, of the Q&A. So I got back-to-back questions here about Cleveland. Connor Murphy asks simply, are the Browns and Baker Mayfield for real? It's tough to tell how the Browns are going to look specifically with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. Because, I mean, it looks like Tyrod Taylor, T-Mobile, if you will, is going to be getting the first few cracks at being the starter this season. But in general, sure, they're for real. They're significantly better today than they were at any point last season. And I feel that they've made it crystal clear that the days of them being the worst team in football are days that they want solidly behind them. It's really nice to see that level of commitment from management all the way down to coaching, all the way down to the players. It's nice to see that kind of commitment from a franchise that has struggled so heavily for so long. Connor, thanks for your question. Andrew Warren chimes in with, some gamblers in Vegas are actually putting money on the Browns. Would you do the same? I have to, like, it depends on what you're putting money on, right? Like, I mean, a reasonable over-under win total? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'd throw some money on, like, if someone gave me an over three and a half, like 3.5 on a win total, I'd throw the over on that one. I think right now it's set at, like, five and a half or something, which, again, if you watched my AFC predictions, that would be a very difficult bet for me. Like, if someone gave me, like, a three and a half or even a four and a half, I'd probably throw some money on the over because I think they're going to win that many games. But since I assume we're talking about either making the playoffs or like winning the Super Bowl, no, I mean, I personally wouldn't do that because I'm not a fan of losing money. Although, I mean, right now, they're 66 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl. They're not the worst odds in the NFL to win the Super Bowl. There's value in taking like a single unit and throwing it on Cleveland and forgetting about it. Well, don't forget about where you put the ticket just in case they happen to win. But, I mean, if we're operating under that idea, I would rather take that unit and put it on, like, Arizona. Because Arizona's at, like, 100 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl. But they at least have one bona fide superstar player in David Johnson. So I would rather take those really low odds and throw them on a bona fide superstar player and his ability to take over games and win games and maybe have that as a Cinderella story than to take the money right now and put it on Cleveland. So in terms of the Browns portion of the Q and a Andrew Warren, Connor Murphy and the man, the myth, the legend Gio DeFranco. Thank you so much for your questions. Pickle Rick returns with hottest NFL cheerleaders. That's a great question. I'm going to assume, once again, you're not talking about individual cheerleaders because while I do plenty of cheerleader research, 
I don't go deep enough to actually know their names, which sounds way more misogynistic than I intended it to, but I have to be honest. Um, I like the Ravens as a, like a squad. I like the Colts. Uh, Chiefs girls are, are really good looking. Um, the Dolphins, obviously. I mean, Miami, Florida girls, geez. Um, the Vikings actually have really, really, really pretty cheerleaders. Um, the Patriots girls are, are, are very nice. Uh, the Eagles... I like the Seahawks. Um, maybe I just like cheerleaders. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with that. Uh, Pickle Rick, thank you for your question. Cody Roy Parker comes in with a great question here. Most anticipated games this season? I got a few. I got What, what do I got here? I got uh, five that I've really circled on the calendar. Starts very early in the season. Patriots-Jags in week two, rematch of last season's AFC title game. And to be perfectly honest, that was almost my predicted AFC title game this year as well. Uh, at first, I did have the Jags going through to play the Patriots. I'm actually going to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. But that, obviously, anybody's got to circle that game on their calendar. Rematch of a conference championship game from the previous season. Uh, Saints-Vikings in Week 8, another playoff rematch. No way the Saints should have lost that game. Lost it on the worst attempted tackle in NFL history. So I'm looking forward to seeing that rematch. Uh, week 12, Packers-Vikings. That game, I'm sure, could probably decide the NFC North. Uh, Steelers and Saints in New Orleans. That's going to be a great football game. See how the Saints handle the Steelers, who again, I have going to the Super Bowl in their own building. But I think if I had to pick one game, gun to my head, what one game this season are you looking forward to the most? Week 9, Green Bay, New England in Foxborough. You got two of the greatest of all time at the quarterback position. You don't get those games every day or every week. So if there's one game that I'm looking forward to the most, midseason, week nine, Packers-Patriots. Cody, thank you for your question. Chris Carter, whose name you're going to hear an awful lot in this Q&A portion, comes in and asks, biggest busts in fantasy this season? And I assume he's not talking about the cheerleaders. So when you're talking about bust, I have to look at bust from the perspective of bust relative to the draft position. Because as anybody knows who actually plays fantasy football, injuries often answer this question for us. Aaron Rodgers was a bust last season because he got hurt. If we're going to take into consideration like their average draft position on Yahoo, we're going to assume you're playing in a standard 12-team fantasy league, here are my five biggest bust candidates. These are players that are going inside the first five rounds. So these are highly coveted franchise cornerstones that I think have a chance to bust for you this season. And that even assumes no injury. In round one, quite frankly, I think you have a lot of options. Round one is kind of perilous. I'm going to go with Odell Beckham. I mean, I full well believe the Giants run the ball way more this season now that they have Saquon. That's going to limit his touches from a declining quarterback. Eli Manning's getting worse every season. And right now, Odell Beckham has an average draft position of nine. That's way too expensive for a player whose quarterback, the guy actually delivering the football to him, is in decline and there's no one at quarterback behind him. Round two, I don't dislike this player, but for me, it's A.J. Green. And that's only based on draft position. Right now, his ADP is somewhere between 18 and 19. So he's going pretty solidly in the second round of 12-team drafts. 
I don't expect him to outperform a number of the wide receivers that are available after him. We're looking at Mike Evans, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, even a guy like Amari Cooper. I don't necessarily know for a fact that A.J. Green is going to strongly outperform those players. So for me, if I'm taking A.J. Green, it's got to be at a better price tag than 18-19. That's why he lands on this list. Round three is between two for me. It's either LaShawn McCoy or Jarek McKinnon. I'm going to go shady due to a lack of other notable weapons around him, coupled with a handful of maybes this season at quarterback. He's going to get a lot of volume. They're going to run the ball a lot, but I question whether he's going to get the results, especially behind a really shaky offensive line, to justify taking him right now. His ADP is between 33 and 34, so really solidly inside of that third round. Round four, for me, it's Kenyon Drake, the ultimate definition of risk-reward. He's better than Frank Gore. Miami just brought in Frank Gore to be his backup. But it's an already established committee approach. They've already come out and say, this is going to be running back by committee. So he's not going to get the touches to justify right now his ADP is between 39 to 40. I don't think Kenyon Drake is going to get the touches to justify taking him there. No thank you. I'm staying away. And in round five, I'm avoiding Allen Robinson like the plague. Due to his price tag, it's around 55th overall, somewhere in there. So like kind of mid-fifth round. For the results, let's be fair, he had one great season. The quarterback throwing him the ball, Mitch Trubisky, we have to see him take a step forward. And the fact that he's coming off of an ACL tear. Like fantasy is all about risk reward. I get that. But the rewards are greater when the risks are calculated. And any of the players that I've mentioned here are risks that I don't think are calculated risks. That's why I'm staying away from them. So Chris, thank you for your question about busts. Matt Combs, Matt the NFL fanatic, chimes in with what I think is an excellent question. Head coach on the hottest seat this season. This might be a really dumb answer given that they just hired him in January, but Pat Shermer in New York. After drafting Saquon Barkley and having a game-breaker in your lineup like Odell Beckham, that team should be better than it's likely going to be in 2018, and I feel like Pat Shermer has got a really, really short leash for the Giants. I think expectations are higher than what the reality is going to be. Uh, Is it crazy also to consider that a well-established talented head coach somebody like like Mike McCarthy in Green Bay or even Pete Carroll in Seattle is it crazy to think that either of those guys might have to start looking over their shoulders because if they fail again to meet the expectations the expectations of those two fan bases are sky high Seattle is expected to be a contender by their fan base Green Bay is expected to be a contender by their fan base and they're hungry for a Super Bowl If they fail to deliver those things, is it crazy to think that either McCarthy or Carroll might have to start looking over their shoulders? Uh, Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay is another really interesting one to me. He was 9-7 in his first season, went to 5-11 last year. How long of a leash is Dirk on? Uh, In the AFC, I would expect Todd Bowles probably going to be looking for work if the Jets have another bad season, which I think they likely will. Despite the fact that he just signed a contract extension, I think the Jets would be happier to eat that and go in a different direction if they underperform once again. Again, another established, talented head coach, John Harbaugh. I hate to say this, Matt, because I know you're a Ravens fan, 
But John Harbaugh, he's led the Ravens to the playoffs one time in the last five years. So is it unreasonable to think he might be looking for work? I've already spoken on like Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati. I feel like he's been on the hot seat for a decade. And I think Vance Joseph in Denver, this was mentioned by uh, by Billy B in one of the uh, Facebook uh, chats. Vance Joseph in Denver, it might be a lukewarm possibility there as well. I feel like his leash is a little bit longer, but you know, Vance Joseph, I could think of crazier things than him looking for a job if Denver has a bad season. So Matt, really interesting question. Thank you for it. Both Chris Carter and uh, my friend Brian, whose last name I always mispronounce, so I'm just going to go super Italian and pronounce it Lungocio. Brian Lungocio, as well as Chris Carter, wanted me to talk about the new helmet rule. And full disclosure, I didn't know there was one (laughs) until I started seeing people talking about it on Twitter. And for the purposes of answering this question, I actually had to look it up. So as I understand the rule, it's a 15-yard penalty if it's deemed that a player lowered his head to initiate contact using his helmet, regardless of where the contact takes place. So it doesn't have to be head-to-head contact or head-to-neck or head-to-shoulder. If it hits you in the elbow, it's a 15-yard penalty if it's deemed that the player lowered his head in order to initiate contact using the helmet. So on first glance, that strikes me as another rule that is mostly subject to interpretation by, um, by NFL officials, which unquestionably means that it will be called incorrectly uh, much too frequently, leading to probably significant fan backlash. I mean, there already is. And at some point, it might even cost a team a football game. 15 yards strikes me as too much of a penalty. This feels more like a 10-yarder to me. It feels more like a hold than, than, you know, defensive pass interference. In saying that, I agree with the concept of moving to try to remove head contact from the game as much as humanly possible, whether that contact's on the receiving end or on the giving one. I'm down for that. You don't have to lead with your head to make a tackle. But I can see this being a major clusterfuck this season. And I will definitely be paying close attention to how that in particular plays out. So Brian and Chris, thank you for asking about it. And uh, fingers crossed it doesn't hurt any of our teams. Chris Carter returns with boxers or briefs. Um, I feel like this was a question that was asked last year. And it might have even been one that Chris asked. Uh, I meet in the middle. I rock some boxer briefs or nothing. Quite frankly, Commando is underrated. Chris, thank you for your question. And Brian Lungocchio returns asking, how bad does Johnny Manziel suck? Get to talk a little CFL. Fantastic. I mean, look, I said from the beginning that Manziel would be, and I quote myself, eaten alive in the CFL because it's such a passer's league. And I didn't think he was accurate enough or had a good enough arm to survive. That said... When Montreal traded for him, they threw him out into his first game way too quick. And the results spoke for themselves. He threw four interceptions. And he was hot garbage the whole game. His second game, he looked way better. His completion percentage went up. He didn't throw any picks. He almost ran for a touchdown before he got hit, got injured, and got concussed. I think Johnny Manziel can be an all-right CFL quarterback. I think he could maybe even slip back into the NFL on name recognition, go to a PTO, something like that, maybe make a team at a camp. 
He's never going to be the elite player that his draft position in the first round asked him to be. He could potentially be an NFL player again someday. But I think his ceiling is to be an average or above average CFL level quarterback, Brian Lungocchio. Thank you for your question. Gio DeFranco returns asking Wilma or Betty of Flintstones fame. Uh, No man can resist a redhead. The correct answer is Wilma. Gio, thank you for your question. Chris Carter chimes in. Favorite golden girl. Everybody's a comedian. So, uh, favorite golden girl. Uh, Honestly, I watched a little bit of this show. And I really think like Estelle Getty, who played Sophia... She stole pretty much every scene that she was in in that show. But any answer in this context that is not Betty White is wrong. So it's Rose by default. Chris, thank you for your question. And speaking of Chris, we have hit the point in the show where all of the questions, all of the remaining questions were asked by Chris Carter, the Hatbox Kid. Follow him on Twitter. Find him on Facebook. He's the man. So through all the rest of these questions were asked by Chris. Dark Horse Pick in both the AFC and the NFC. I'm assuming this means in terms of playoffs. In the AFC, I think there's honestly a pretty cut and dry divide between the top teams and the teams that are treading water. I think that could be as much as like a two-game divide between those things. That said, I do think the Houston Texans can do some damage in the playoffs depending on who they draw in the divisional round. By the same criteria in the NFC, you're not going to like hearing this, I do think Green Bay wins a playoff game this season, like I mentioned earlier. I actually expect them to produce top 10 results from their offensive line. And I mean, if you protect Aaron Rodgers, he can do work back there. He can make magic happen. So I think they win a playoff game. If their defense steps up more than even I think it will on paper, Green Bay could become instant legitimate Super Bowl contenders. If the defense does that, I'm not saying they're going to, but if the defense does that, they could become Super Bowl contenders. So for me, it's Houston in the AFC, Green Bay in the NFC. Overall career, Joe Flacco or Matt Ryan? That's kind of an interesting question. You got a player who is probably the better player. I think Matt Ryan is almost unquestionably a better player than Joe Flacco is, or maybe that Joe Flacco has ever been. Joe Flacco has a Super Bowl ring. All things considered, I think I'd rather have the ring. So I'm going to go with Joe Flacco here. I don't necessarily like it because I think Matt Ryan's a better player. And I think Matt Ryan could very easily win a ring. But right now, today, I would take the ring. Uh, One player you absolutely love and one you absolutely hate. And he clarified this as being it could be from a fantasy perspective it could be from whatever perspective uh Devonte adams has to be high up there on the love list i think he's going to be incredible this year uh mike evans too but the one player i've like really found myself targeting in every fantasy format is evan ingram tight end for the giants along with guys like hunter henry and austin hooper and stuff like that we're talking about the future of the tight end position like taking over from the old guard of gronk and kels whatever maybe even as soon as this season evan ingram could be could finish the season as tight end number one he really could now i try to skew away from hating players i think it's just bad mojo but i think it's obvious from listening to this episode i'm not a fan of odell beckham i really do think he's overrated as a player So I guess OBJ would have to be my answer to the second part of the question, but I I really am loving on Evan Ingram this year. 
overall career, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? And this is a much more interesting question. This is a lot of fun. I actually can't cop out on this one with the ring versus no ring distinction like I did with Flacco and Ryan. So, would I rather be considered the greatest of all time, but have that be accompanied by multiple, you know, asterisks and yeah, but, and stuff like that, or... Would I rather be considered potentially the greatest of all time, but to this point in my career, only have one championship when most people feel like I should have more? I have this sneaking suspicion that even with all the gates and controversies that already surround Brady Belichick, I don't think we're even done with them. Like, I think something else is going to come out in the next year or two. So I think I'd rather ride the potential for the next five-ish years to maybe get that second ring and go with Aaron Rodgers in this comparison. But that was not easy to choose. I literally sat here for about 20 minutes when you first asked that and thought, crap, which one would I rather be? I legit had to think about that one pretty damn hard. Two more questions from Chris, and they're both actually really, really good ones. Should we still include the preseason, or is the preseason a waste of time? Well, the preseason is never a waste of time because it allows me to do a four-part episode zero before the regular season. No, um, I think the preseason is still a pretty invaluable tool for player evaluation, especially for young talent, but I think four games is too much. I kind of side with Jerry Jones in this, one of not many things, but this is one thing. I side with Jerry Jones because he kind of believes the NFL should move closer to like The CFL's example, another CFL reference in this episode, the CFL's example of a smaller preseason and a larger regular season. Like going to something like two preseason games and 18 regular season games versus four preseason games and 16 regular season games. I do think a smaller preseason cuts down on injuries and more regular season football usually means more money in the pockets for the owners, which I think they should be on board with. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the preseason get switched around and probably constrict a little bit. So we're going to finish off with probably my favorite question in this whole thing. What do you think of increasing the league size and expansion to Canada, Mexico, South America, and Europe? So I've long said that I could see a scenario where the NFL merges with the CFL, much the same way as it merged with the AFL in the 60s. I'm not saying I want this to happen or that I think it's going to, but I could see a scenario where it could happen. They merge with the CFL, retain eight of the CFL franchises, get rid of one of them, creating two new Canadian divisions inside the current conference structure. So a Canadian division in the AFC and a Canadian division in the NFC. In addition to that, I could absolutely see like a South American division with four franchises and a European division with four more. Basically, I live under the mantra that more football is good for everybody. And as such, I do want to see the NFL get as big as it can while still remaining viable. I wouldn't want to lose the CFL, not by a long shot. It's just not the craziest thing I've ever heard or come up with that the NFL might be interested in saying, hey, there's that professional football league in Canada. If we really want to get into Canada, let's buy them because we can, we're can. we the NFL. We can absolutely afford them. Let's buy them. Let's merge the leagues. Keep eight of the teams. Boom. There's our foothold in Canada. 
just like that, and it's done. Chris, thank you so much for that question storm to end the episode. Everyone that asked questions, Millhouse, Monkey Capper, Pickle Rick, Chris, obviously, who asked a bunch, Geo, who asked a couple of questions. We're looking at my guy, Brian Lungoccio who asked himself a couple of questions. Matt Combs, the NFL fanatic. Cody Roy Parker. Andrew Warren, who asked a question. Thank you, Connor Murphy. Thank you, everybody who threw your questions out there, gave me some content to talk about on this episode. Much, much, much appreciated. All right, folks, that is going to do it. That closes episode zero of the 2018-2019 NFL football pick show for Bridgewater's finest. When you hear from me again to talk about the NFL, kids, it's week one picks. We are here. We are ready to roll. We are ready for this new NFL season. Going to be a hell of a lot of fun. That's it for me, Justin, Bridgewater's finest on YouTube, blockbuster underscore guy on Twitter, fueled as always by the lovely folks at Nerd Tees. Thank you so much for putting up with the slight change in schedule where I recorded this on Wednesday. We'll be recording the CFL show tomorrow on Thursday. Can't wait to do that. Can't wait to start actually making huh, NFL regular season picks again. Cannot wait. Season seven of the show. We ready. We in there. We doing this. Thank you for listening. See you again in week one.